Are we ready? Okay, looks yes. like you said we're good to start. Okay. Um, this is the regular board meeting of trustees um, on May 19th, 2022. The date was changed to accommodate graduation next week. And I will call to order now and ask Linda Shaw to please take roll. President Davila? Present. Vice President Rizzo? Not yet present. Trustee Chisty? Present. Trustee Selby? Here. Trustee Williams? Trustee Williams will not be joining us tonight. She has a final tonight. Okay. Thank you. Trustee Wong? Present. Student Trustee Villalobos? Present. You do have quorum. Okay, great. So, um, let me read the land acknowledgement statement. Uh, so we acknowledge that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramaytu Sholoni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramaytush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramaytush community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. So now we will go, um, let me ask if there's approval of the closed session agenda. So moved. Okay, oh, thank you, John, for joining us. Um, okay, so I have, um, it's been moved, and did I hear you second it, Trustee Selby? You did indeed. Okay, great. So we will now recess to closed session. And um, before we leave, though, I'd like to say we're probably going to take longer than usual. And let me ask the chancellor if he has a better idea of the time. Uh, thank you, President Davila. Let's start with uh, 90 minutes uh, tentatively scheduled for closed session. Okay, and that President sounds good. Davila, don't yes. you want to take a roll call vote on the agenda? You didn't vote on it. Oh, yeah, that's right. We only had a move in second. Okay. Um, student Trustee Villalobos, advisory vote? Aye. President Davila? Yes. President Riz uh, Vice President Rizzo? Yes. Trustee Chisty? Aye. Trustee Selby? Aye. Trustee Wong? Aye. The motion passes. Okay. So I'll see you all in closed session.
Okay. Do we have a quorum? Oh, we do, President Davila. Okay, great. Okay, we are back from the closed session and we have no reportable items. And now we can start reconvening to open session. And um, we have public comment now, Linda. Yes, uh, first is Bo Eleanor. And Linda, I do not see Bo on right now. Okay, Elisa Buckwick. I do see Elisa. Thank you. Hi there. I want to bring to your attention the numerous unstaffed classes currently on the fall 22 schedule for the English department. There are enough unstaffed classes for every laid off faculty member to be assigned a full load, but our department chair has not been given the green light to do this. Trustees, I thank you for having the foresight to add a clause to the layoff resolution that says, quote, additional sections will be offered to laid off full-time faculty when student enrollment has increased. I urge you to make sure the administration is following through on the intent of that clause. Our department FTEF budget has been drastically reduced, but still we have enough unstaffed classes and we have eager teachers. So what is the delay? Ed code says instructors have to be assigned in order of seniority and that their services cannot be terminated, quote, in whole or in part, and then assigned to anyone junior. Who is gonna teach those classes if not the laid off faculty? Time is ticking, the schedule is out, students are registering, and we know they are less likely to sign up for a class that is unstaffed. Please act quickly to avoid further class cancellations. Thank you. Thank you. Next is uh, Dr. Vika Palakta. Linda, I do not see Dr. Polita on now. Okay, uh, Abigail Bornstein. I do see Abigail. Thank you. Thank you. So I would like to share my experience as an instructor attempting to get the lowest prices on textbooks for my students. I am currently running into a roadblock due to what I'm hearing is a policy regarding textbook sales at our school. The bookstore is informing the textbook publisher that we cannot create another channel of distribution unless that channel prices the textbook bundle at or above the bookstore price. That sounds like price fixing to me. Does this school have a policy that insists that alternative channels of textbook distribution must not be allowed to price the textbook bundle below the bookstore? If we give students an alternative channel as a lower cost to the student, the bookstore will not carry this publisher's textbooks. The bookstore is forcing either a monopoly, the only ones to sell the textbook bundle at whatever high markup price the bookstore chooses, or fixes the price through other channels or won't carry the publisher's textbooks at the bookstore, which is required. Since when does our bookstore set the price to students across distribution channels? It appears that pressure to price fix is what is happening right now through our bookstore. I'm here for my students. I believe in competition and I do not believe in price fixing. 
where is the school policy that the bookstore is insisting on? If it doesn't exist, then someone needs to tell the bookstore that they need to stop attempting to control the distribution channels and stop attempting to price fix. Thank you. Thank you. That concludes public comment on items not on the agenda. Okay. Um, let's see, do we have approval of minutes? We have the April 21st, 22 board meeting minutes. So moved. All right, do I have a second? Second. Okay, so moved by Vice President Rizzo, seconded by Trustee Wong. Um, Linda, do we need a roll call vote for this? We do. Okay, let's do it. Student Trustee Villalobos advisory vote. Maybe you can go back to I'll him. I'll come back to him. Yeah. President Davila? Yes. Vice President Rizzo? Yes. Trustee Chisty? Aye. Trustee Selby? Uh, Trustee Selby is no longer with us. I don't mean it in the very negative sense, but she is with her ailing father right now. Okay. Uh, Trustee Wong? Yes. Thank you. Oh, and uh, the student trustee put his- I uh, see that. Thank you, student trustee. I we couldn't okay. hear you, but we see you in the chat. Oh, I can hear you now. Oh. Okay. Uh, yes. Okay, good. Right. Yes, we're still interesting. The motion passes. Okay. So let's go to um, our first report item on the agenda. And I believe uh, Suwei Tang is not going to be with us today. Is that true? That's right. She was going to attempt to get the student vice chancellor, but uh, she never heard back. So I think we can skip that. Okay. Um, how about student trustees report, Malanali Villalobos? Uh, yes. Uh, can you all hear me? Yes. yes. Okay. Well, uh, good evening. I hope you all are, are doing well this evening. As far as student uh, trustee report, uh, I wanted to uh, remind everybody that we're having our uh, commencement for the class of 2022. Uh, congratulations to the class of 2022. Our commencement is going to be held on Friday, May 27th at 10 a.m. at the CCSF Ocean Campus uh, football field, which is the George uh, M. Rush football stadium. Uh, students are getting ready for, for commencement and are very excited. Um, this is going to be an in-person uh, commencement, uh, which hasn't been done since uh, a class of 2019, so it's a yeah. very ex exciting time for students. Uh, and uh, right now, students are focusing on their finals. So uh, good luck to all students with their finals, their presentations, their paper, uh, and anything that has to do with uh, finishing strong this academic uh, semester. And uh, lastly, uh, uh, students are still uh, frustrating, frustrated uh, over registration uh, for the summer and fall, uh, not having um, enough classes for the summer, first off, and the difficulties of, of registering for summer uh, classes with, with, within the system, the registration system. So I've been troubleshooting with that. And just one more announcement. Um, this is uh, 
we're going to have a new turnover of student elected leaders uh, for this uh, for the next coming uh, uh, fall 2022, uh, spring 2023. Um, uh, Heather Brandt will be the starting June 1st will be the elected incoming uh, student chancellor. So congratulations to uh, student chancellor Heather, Heather Brandt. She currently serves as Associate Student Council, Ocean Campus President. And myself, uh, Student Trustee Malina Olivia-Lobos will be uh, serving um, as Student Trustee again, got reelected. And I wanna thank to all the other students that were uh, elected into the new position. Uh, thank you for your leadership, your time and your service. And know that uh, we as students are here to support you in this new uh, venture that you're stepping in. And um, that's that's it for now. Thank you. My turn? Yes, we're, <laughs> it's before I even said it. <laughs> um, so the board committee reports and we'll start with the budget and audit committee. Okay, take it away. Okay, um, so the only item we had was the monthly budget update. Uh, we reviewed outstanding uh, enrollment fees um, and, and the status on that. And also we got a up, update on projected expenditures for the year from uh, Vice Chancellor Alamin. Um, we also had, uh, we were also inquiring about when would be the earliest we would see a, um, a iteration of our, our budget. And uh, I, I did follow up with the chancellor afterwards and he mentioned that we would, the, the board would have the opportunity to review the budget at uh, six different uh, uh, points. Um, so twice in um, uh, June at our uh, budget committee and the full board, and then twice in June, I mean, twice in July and August as well before uh, final approval. So we'll be able to get opportunities to, to review and, and make suggestions as well at that point. Thank you. Oh, I have one question for you, Trustee Wong. Um, is your committee looking at the feasibility of providing a budget breakdown by departments? Um, we didn't discuss that at the last uh, committee, but I definitely would be uh, open to have uh, yeah, uh, further, uh, further breakdown. Uh, obviously, I would want to consult with our um, staff on on to get their feedback as well, but that would be something that I'd be interested in. Okay, that would be fantastic if um, you can work that out. Um, okay, so now we have a board committee two facilities master planning and oversight, and we have Vice President Rizzo. Thank you. Um, uh, we got uh, a few uh, reports. Um, one was, um, on the uh, memorials and naming of buildings policy, uh, which has has um, come out of shared governance. You may remember that um, uh, former trustee Tom Temprano requested this item um, a while ago. And uh, there, there is a policy <clears throat> that um, PGC has recommended and we got a, look at it and there's also an administrative procedure uh, as well and that is that is working its way the board will eventually uh, get it um, we also got a report on the uh, reopening plan and um, um, you know the re reopening of buildings and, and so forth and 
uh, as we've said, it's it's much easier was much easier to close everything down and to uh, open everything up, but um, um, there are there are uh, we are still playing open on a lot of the buildings um, in the summer and fall. And um, then we got a brief uh, update on uh, Goff Street, uh, um, basically just saying that um, um, there's more information to come and the board would be uh, discussing this in closed session. So uh, that is um, that is about it. And oh, we also got a, uh, an action item, which I believe is on the agenda tonight, which was just a final notice of completion for for um, a, a list of projects, which is always nice to uh, to have. <laughs> so uh, that's my report, thank you. Um, Vice President Rizzo, do you wanna say a few words about the um, meeting with the architects for the DRT dash? Oh, sure, yeah. Um, um, President Davila and I met with the um, the steering committee for the for for the performing arts center, and um, uh, we, we discussed um, uh, the um, um, what is basically going to go into the the building, and and the users of the building um, gave their input, um, and it's it's all uh, the the meeting was an excellent meeting, and um, the architects. Are doing a great job so far, and um, um, uh, and there was a lot of technical details about what's going to be in the building, but uh, basically reviving the discussions that that uh, we had before. So um, those those meetings are ongoing. They're, there's they're every two weeks, and and the the idea is to present to the board. Um, the board will vote in June, I believe, on a, um, a, a final proposal for the program in the building, um, which will then that vote board vote will enable the um, architects to start creating the technical um, details. So that's kind of the next milestone for us at the board next month. Thank you. <clears throat> um, and now we have the Student Success and Policy Committee, but I know um, Chair Selby could not be here, and maybe um, Trustee Chisty might be able to pinch it. If not, that's fine. Sure, yeah, <clears throat> I can definitely um, do the report out. So we had our in-person Student Success and Policy Committee meeting, so that was a huge success, and just really wanna um, thank Chair Selby for you know, coming up with the idea and Chancellor Martin, Susan, um, Grace, Linda, all the behind the scenes work that went into it. Really appreciative of having the opportunity um, to meet in person. Um, in terms of the items that we discussed, we've started um, reviewing our board policies per um, accreditation requirements. And so we have some of those policies that were discussed and reviewed um, uh, on the agenda as a under consent items and something else that also sparked um, up during the discussion of just having a stronger understanding of the policy 
the board policy process, how, how it relates to academic procedures, and then they also somehow tie into CCLC policy. So um, that's something else that came in of developing a stronger understanding as well as having a timeline for the policies that will be reviewed. And um, we also had a report out on student debt. Um, so this is uh, this continues to be an ongoing discussion, but we have a significant number of students that are free city students that have student debt and also non-free city students that have student debt. And Chancellor Martin, I can't remember the number exactly, but it's like the total um, outstanding student debt, I believe that we have is, is 6 million. Yes, approximately, Chelsea Chesley. So this is something that we're just kind of keeping an eye on and thinking through of how can we um, address this issue that serves as a barrier in students registering and achieving their academic goals. So that's, that's something else that we discussed and hope to have another discussion on. <clears throat> and then the last thing we discussed was the student ambassador program, which um, is phenomenal. And thank you, Dr. Cooper Wilkins for that presentation. And um, it is, I believe we have two student ambassadors um, at, at this moment and a discussion about how we can make this a more robust program moving forward and looking at you know, federal work study or increasing the minimum wage. I believe the student ambassadors make about 16 an hour. So, um, so these are some of the different things that we're exploring and um, yeah, that, thank you so much. Okay. Thank you for um, pinch hitting at the last minute. Okay, so um, do we have any public comment? Not on this uh, item. Okay, okay. Uh, so now we go to the chancellor's report um, on HSIs and uh, we had uh, pursued this before in other board meetings and this is an update on where we are with uh, HSI grants, the Hispanic Serving Institute grants. Uh, yes, President Davila, and I have asked uh, Associate Vice Chancellor uh, Charles to help provide the board an update uh, as to our HSI status and what some next steps may be. Thank you, Chancellor Martin, and good evening, trustees and colleagues. Uh, so yes, we did last uh, provide an update and present on our HSI status uh, during November. Uh, at that time, we indicated that we were paving the way to attempt to apply again this spring. Uh, as it turns out, we were unable to apply this year uh, for HSI funding because we didn't meet one of the uh, eligibility criteria um, that the to apply for Titles Three or Title Five, which is the, the title under which um, HSI funding is issued. Um, and that was aside from the percentage of, of Latinx students that we serve. We are serving over 25% according to our calculations. Um, but this had to do with one of the other requirements, uh, more specifically this, the needy student requirement. So once again, we will have to revisit our eligibility um, in late fall early spring um, of this coming year, uh, when the US Department of Education releases the eligibility information. Um, we did apply for a waiver, uh, just to, to clarify, when you don't qualify on, on the basis of 
the other two eligibility requirements. Again, there's this needy student uh, requirement, um, or there's also uh, a requirement uh, regarding the uh, cost uh, or expenditures per student. Um, and uh, so we will, you know, we did submit a waiver because they allow you to do that. If you don't meet the requirements at face value, you can submit a waiver. Unfortunately, we were not successful with regard to this needy student requirement. So again, we will revisit that. I do want to note that Dean McGriff has been in conversation uh, with VC Cooper Wilkins, as well as uh, student affairs uh, staff um, in talking about uh, HSI and other opportunities to support our Latinx students and our equity populations overall. Um, in particular, one of the things that they've been looking at are some of the HSI STEM opportunities, which include one opportunity through the US Department of Education focused on uh, HSI uh, STEM. Again, we would have to meet all of the same eligibility requirements, as well as a National Science Foundation opportunity uh, also focused on HSI STEM. It's improving undergraduate STEM education for Hispanic serving institutions. Uh, and really at this juncture, it would help us tremendously to engage a consultant with HSI expertise. I think that would be a really critical next step. Um, you know, in the meantime, I do want to, to note that a number of areas in the college have secured grant funding and have implemented ways to support our Latinx students. Um, one key example that we've talked about in the past includes City Dream and its California Community College's Legal Services Project Grant, which was awarded in 2019. And then they received um, an augmentation uh, in October of 2021. So that's you know, pretty recent. Um, also of note is, of course, our Office of Student Equity under the leadership of, of Dean Tessa Brown and faculty coordinator Mitra Sapienza, uh, who are in the process of developing our student equity and achievement plan for submissions to the state chancellor's office. Um, and there will be a focus on our Latinx um, students within that. Um, and then in closing, I also just want to note that the majority of proposals uh, that Dean McGriff uh, submits uh, support our equity populations. Okay, I had a, a question and a comment. Um, mm -hmm. So one thing I wanted to remind everybody of is the um, Hispanic serving institutions scholars or uh, grants support everybody. <laughs> so they are for schools with 25% or higher Latino population. Um, but if we're able to hire more counselors for a specific program that's available to everybody. If we build more chemistry labs, that's available yes. to everybody. So I just, Absolutely. Want to make, I just want to make that very clear. And then I also want to ask, um, how do we not meet the criteria for needy students? And do you rely on the FAFSA? And is it because some people are not filling it out or what? How do, how do we miss that? Yeah, that's a good question. And that's something we need to investigate further. Part of the issue we've had for quite a long time is the way that the US Department of Education conducts their calculations. So they're using iPads data um, and there are 
various things that happen to our data as it moves up through the system up to the federal level. So that's one of the things we've called out before. Um, and so we need to, to really dig into that. Okay. Um, I think um, student trustee Villalobos also has a question. Oh, wait, I see your hand there. It came through. Yeah. Student trustee Villalobos. Okay. Yes. Uh, thank you for that, Chair. Uh, I do have a question as far as the HSI uh, classification. Uh, once we do uh, finish that problem, we get Okay, I don't understand anything you're saying, and I know you have okay. your, I know you have your um, video off, but you're going in and out. Testing, testing. Uh, it's a little Can better. Yeah. Want to try again? Okay. We'll try again. Well, thank you, Chair. My question. Once we do obtain that certification and we finish the process, as far as uh, when we're in for the HSI, uh, does that mean that we're eligible for uh, different kind of money events, uh, in particular HSI, we have to do we or what is the process of that second step of getting grant once we have the classification? We're still having a hard time understanding. Um, can you put it in the chat and then maybe we can get the overall? Oh, wait, he disappeared. I'm sure that was a good question, too. Yeah. Okay, well, um, we have Trustee Chisty and hopefully uh, student Trustee Villalobos will be back in the queue. Trustee Chisty? Thank you. Um, could you just repeat the. I, I'm. I'm I'm not fully understanding how we didn't meet the needy student requirement and what you were saying about iPads data and like kind of, could you repeat that? Sure, yeah, the US Department of Education relies on our iPads data, that's the federal data um, that, that essentially we submit data to the state, the state then process, you know, processes that data themselves, they then submit that to the federal government that gets processed a little further. U.S. Department of Education applies its own, you know, calculations to that data. Um, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me at the moment, um, but unfortunately, we just simply did not meet that threshold. And yeah, I'd be and, it, and it may not be due to that, by the way, but it may be. That's one of the issues that right. has been been confronting us for a while. Yeah, I mean, from whatever I've read, it seems very complicated to yes. um, receive the status, HSI status. Um, and mm -hmm. so I do think that perhaps there could be some benefit from having a consultant or another entity kind of guiding us through it because it mm -hmm. seems complex. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I would be curious to know, like, by what I mean, I'm I'm more just curious about the needy student requirement and why, mm -hmm. where is mm -hmm. the disconnect and by how much, mm -hmm. um, because I think it just ties into a, a lot of other things with how we receive federal funding and how the federal government assesses need 
um, at community colleges. So I'd be curious to know by how much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. We can, we'll look into that even further. Let's see if we have, oh, there he is. Um, Trustee Villalobos, I hope we can hear you this time. Yes, testing one, two, three. Um, Trustee Chisti, can you pull your hand down? If you're hello, done. hello. Yeah. Can you hear gotcha. me? Gotcha. Can you all hear me? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, I had to lock, lock back on. So my question was, uh, once we finish, once we finish the process of obtaining that HHI classification, what will be the next steps um, after that? Are we automatically um, granted uh, money grants, or do we have to apply uh, for those grants under HHI classification? What does that process look like? Yeah, thank you for asking that question. Unfortunately, we don't automatically receive funding. It simply opens the door for us to apply for funding under the various HSI programs. And that is a very competitive process and all the more reason why a consultant would help us also with that piece too. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It is a very competitive process, and I'm glad you're entertaining the idea of getting a consultant who's been successful with these grants. And um, if I could point in a direction, I would. I do like the STEM idea, and working with our new buildings that are coming up, the Performing Arts Center and the um, STEM building right next to it. I think that's a very promising area um, for looking at the. Um, how one informs the other and how that helps students support students. So, and then um, last, I wanna say, if you can also look into working with San Francisco State, mm -hmm. because what I do know about HSI grants is they love collaborations and there's yes. a lot of collaborations that we could do, UCSF, Berkeley, uh, SFSU is the most likely Absolutely. And we can always join as a partner organization. And we actually explored that quite some time ago now um, okay. when we didn't qualify by virtue of our, our of the oh, that's 25 percent right. threshold. Yeah. But but we should absolutely that revisit now. that. Mm -hmm. OK, thank you. Thank you. Um, anything else? And before we move on. All right. Thank you very much. Kristen Charles for that report. Now we're going to go to the stakeholder reports and we have the Academic Senate President's Report, Simon Hansen. Um, Sean, is Simon here? Good evening. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Uh, excellent. Uh, uh, this, uh, good evening, Board of Trustees in the college community. I'd like to tell you that a regular semester happens when we get to the week of finals and instructors go, oh, good, we get to focus on summer and finishing up our business of the semester. But being that right now I am simultaneously trying to attend the PGC meeting, which is wrapping up right now, and all the other college business, we're sort of rambling to a, a, uh, a very busy end of the semester. For that reason, I have submitted a written board report with much details that I am encouraging the entire community to look at because the Academic Senate has been incredibly busy and has its last meeting next Wednesday where we will continue to be busy and continue to take up items. 
As we've talked about in this group, the way we find our voice together is through resolution. And so on that written report, I provided details to many resolutions that are on the details of the college, uh, not all of which I will be addressing tonight, but I do wanna draw your attention to a particular items that have been passed by the board or by the academic Senate directed to the board tonight. Uh, one of those is I'm going to repeat our request for a response to the aircraft maintenance technology program revitalization report. I mentioned this in our last report, uh, the, uh, the PRSD process recommended a revitalization and I am formally and written requesting that the board respond because the layoffs that we enacted last week seem to be moving in a direction that is opposite of the report. And so we just want some clarity. Uh, what is the future of this program? Uh, we're recommending revitalization and now where, which way direction are we going? Uh, I also want to draw to your attention and elevate in your attention uh, a recommendation or a resolution that was passed last May 11th, just this last week. Uh, by the Academic Senate, which represents all faculty at the college, a resolution to honor student voice. In particular, this resolution is addressed to the Board of Trustees and requests that the board work collaboratively with student leaders to find solutions to the reasons the CCSF student trustee does not have full voting rights on the board. It further urges the board to ensure that the current practice of asking for the student trustee to provide an advisory vote is taken seriously and ask the board to take time to fully understand the reasoning and the potential policy impacts of the student trustees advisory vote in advance, in advance of its making decisions or taking actions on items. While this issue is directed at the board and its procedures, uh, and there may be questions about, well, who's the academic senate to say what the board's procedures are. Faculty are interpreting this recommendation as part of a standard or policy regarding student preparation or success in the role of the student trustee. And as such, we are expecting the board to respond to the faculty recommendation. Uh, in this, I also am gonna give you the latest news because it was a public meeting literally just minutes ago at PGC, PGC, endorsed this recommendation as well. So we will be bringing this to the chancellor as well to try to bring back to the board through other ways. The resolution does not say give the student a voice. It says explore because we recognize this is a complicated issue, but we do hope to see some movement forward in taking an investigation or efforts to try to make it happen. Um, other big item. And this is big and will loom large into our next year. Uh, the Academic Senate at its last meeting passed a resolution to reinstate lifelong education in the CCSF mission statement. Now this resolution is not a 10 plus one item. The mission statement is the most broadest guiding document we have, but we are recommending that the college replace current part of its mission statement. And I've put those specifics into the resolution uh, to add promoting student achievement and lifelong continuing education as particular phrases and reordering our mission statement. We've begun the process of presenting this recommendation to all groups at the college. If we are going to go and look at our mission statement, it is not the purview of any one group at the college, but it means wide, broad discussions should be happening. Uh, and so the subsequent conversations need to be inclusive, and eventually any recommendations that may come up through our shared governance process will make their way back here to the board 
but we are presenting this to you directly today so you can agendize the board level discussions or the context that may need to take place so the board is prepared to receive and participate in any future requests for an update. And I do want to be clear about this because it's kind of confusing. We just passed a policy for how frequently we should be revising our mission statement. This resolution is actually asking for a change to take place within the mission statement. To be perfectly honest, an evaluation of the actual mission statement and a discussion about where our ideals that are within that mission statement is long off overdue as our college continues to work without unity of purpose in terms of understanding who we are here to serve and what our institutional values and priorities are. Anytime we have as many police cars as we're in front of Conlon Hall as there were a few weeks ago, we are not on the same page. And the discussion can help us get there if we lead the discussion with our ideals and with the rational conversations about what we can afford to do, who we serve and what our priorities are. And the mission statement is an excellent way to start those discussions and to partner with groups across the college to recognize what our priorities are at the college. There are multiple other resolutions that I have put in my written report, but just for time, I would finally like to acknowledge that this will be my last report to the board as Academic Senate President. By this time next week, the AS Executive Council will have installed new representatives and elected new officers for next year. In my two years as serving as the Academic Senate President, the college has gone through much, including three chancellors, multiple organizational and budgetary challenges, and adapting every last part of this college to an unstable global pandemic. It has not been easy on anyone. But through it all, faculty continue to be willing to serve and engage and want to engage the college in their principles and values and hopes for a better future. For many of us, that's why we chose the less than glamorous vocational choice of going into education. Honestly, I am not so certain we will retain this willingness to engage as we move forward into the future. Because in addition to adapting to the pandemic, we have also allowed ourselves as an institution to adapt to an implicit bias. A bias that our faculty, our staff, and our students are not partners in this college. They are something to be managed and are part of the structural budgetary problem we have been dealing with not partners in a solution or a future. Over 20 years ago, when I started the college, I was impressed by the universal quiet excellence of all our programs and services. The buildings were old, but the educational opportunities were excellent and available to everyone. At the time, I was ignorant of educational politics and the governance issues, but what was clear was my purpose for being here. Revitalizing a physiology program and serving my students within the classroom was what I was told was the reason I was here. And today, such clarity of purpose for me and my colleagues is elusive. When we ask for discussions for our programs to be prioritized, we continue to receive little or defensive responses. And we continue to bring back to the board a focus on program review because we're trying to prioritize those programmatic discussions. Not the separate discussions of, well, now we don't have money, what are we gonna cut? But the discussions of, what, what are we putting forward in the future and how are we gonna get there? If asking faculty for a clear direction and future of our programs 
should not be is should not be viewed as a way to subvert management control or other board mandates. It's a conversation that is at the essence of this college. In the fall, I will be going back into the physiology classroom, but not with the direction to revitalize it, but just to protect what is left. The two young, diverse, newly hired faculty that were specially tasked with updating over the last 20 years and supporting the next generation of our physiology programs have both left the college. Not wanting this area to go away, we are canceling impacted anatomy sections in order to shift the resources. And I'm going back to a workload of just trying to keep the classes open. This is what many faculty are doing right now, trying to protect the things we were tasked to build and the communities we thought we were here to serve. In the middle of all these changes, what I fear we may have lost is the very idea that faculty are your partners in the educational mission of the college. And I hope that we will change this soon. In closing, I would like to draw your attention to one final resolution passed this month a resolution acknowledging faculty in response to the faculty layoffs. Nowhere in the point that we uh, took the actions of laying off 38 faculty, did we go through and acknowledge that those 38 faculty were not being laid off for any evaluative purpose or any purpose that they had not performed their job. And I know the pain and hurt this has caused everyone and every group at the college. The Academic Senate would like to acknowledge and express its appreciation to the faculty who may not be continuing at the college, but continued to provide excellent service to their students and their programs during this difficult time. This is what we would do in a classroom with our students. Even the ones that did not make it through the class, we would try to provide support. If you have any questions about any of these matters, I am open for uh, uh, I am this report is open to questions, but I really encourage you to, to look at all the details because there are many other resolutions and many other work. And this is the invisible work that the faculty are doing constantly. I think we wrote, I think we passed a record number of resolutions this year, to be quite honest. And that represents your colleagues trying to find ways to engage and support the college. Thank you. Thank you for your report. I think that um, you brought up some really good ideas here, and I'm sure that all the trustees will be looking at your report in detail. I do particularly like the um, resolution or statement regarding the laid off faculty and their uh, lack of personal culpability in that layoff. So, oh, I see um, trustee or Vice President Rizzo. Yes, thank you. I, I just wanted to just say on on the um, on the issue of uh, full, full voting rights for the student trustee. This is something that um, Trustee Milton Marks and I um, uh, worked on at one point, and um, we were told at that time that um, that was not permitted. Uh, by the state education code. And I just was wondering, it's been so long since that I was wanted to ask the chancellor if we could get uh, a legal opinion on that issue and, um, uh, you know, at some future date, what the current state of, of that is. Uh, we can, Vice President Rizzo, as you mentioned, uh, the uh, rights and the abilities of the student trustee is outlined in California Education Code, and we can bring an update uh, back to the board as to what the current law uh, allows and permits in regards to flexibility. 
that'd be great. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Um, and now we're going to go to classified Senate president's report, Maria Salazar Colon. Oh, hi. Could you guys hear me? Yes. Okay, perfect. Um, well, I had a lot to say, but in the spirit of my grandmother being in my heart and my soul, I'm just going to keep it short and sweet. Um, I just want to congratulate all the students who are going to be graduating next week. Unfortunately, I'm unable to participate in the commencement, and I apologize to you all, but it's um, for unforeseen reasons. Also, um, we just want all the students to know that the classified are proud of you. We salute you. And we are so happy that we have in some kind of way, hopefully, that we were able to help you on your journey. And whatever your educational goals, goals lead you from here, from here and forward, go for it. Reach for the sky. You got it all. Much appreciation. The classified employees of City College of San Francisco salute you all. Thank you. Thank you. And we wish you the best regarding your grandmother, too. Um, okay, so now we have uh, Service Employees International Union, Local 10 to 1, President's Report, Athena Steff. Is Athena here, Sean? Good, good evening. Can you hear me? Oh, yes, I can hear you now. So, good evening, Board and uh, President Avila. Um, first of all, I'd like to also, uh, Maria is always hard to follow. Yeah, that's you know, I think it will always be that way. Maria's Maria's absolutely very difficult to, to follow. So, but I just want to absolutely uh, uh, join her and Simon and the others, uh, wishing the best for all of our graduates that have, have made it to this point and onward. Right, Simon. Um, I want to thank you for your words of wisdom tonight. I read your report earlier, and there were so many things in your report that that kind of you know struck a struck a note with with. Uh, with SEIU, um, um, I know the Academic Senate. Your your world, you work with resolutions all the time, but I definitely hear you loud and clear uh, at some of the words that you shared with us. Um, but because it, it sounds very familiar, you know, we've got we've got uh, with SEIU. We we thought we were in a place now uh, where we've got an administration that has told told me directly that. Uh, uh, they really want to resolve things and work on stuff, and it's not all send it to the lawyer, send it to the lawyer, bring in the lawyers. What have the lawyers got to say? Um, and we write up uh, 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 proposals and uh, trying to resolve some of the impact bargaining, uh, whether it's around the layoffs or returning to campus. And then we get a response back that just, you know, you just absolutely, that's where it rings true with what you shared about your resolution, Simon, where it's like, are they using our words for toilet paper, because it sure doesn't look like they, they really put any effort in looking at the words on the page for, for, our, for our, our proposals. And so it's it, do, were you being honest with us whenever you said you, you really wanna try to resolve some things and work through some stuff, you know? So it, it's your words and your actions are, are, they're not anywhere close to being on the same, the same path for SEIU right now. So, um, um, last, last month I shared with you uh, uh, our concern and angst around just the, just the general functionality of the college and, 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 uh, and it may, most of that was based on the, the return to campus. So many things going on and so much uncertainty and lack of decision making 
and we talk it to death and we do something different than what we talk about. Um, and John, I, you know, I always look to you when it comes to the facilities, uh, uh, Vice President Rizzo, and, and hopefully you know that I would, uh, when I call you John, it's out of respect, not out of disrespect as you as the Vice President. And I, I would believe that you know that we've been, we've been at this together for a long time. So um, I always look, for, look to you for anything to do with the facilities. And I know you've always, you know, you know you've always been in the front line of, of, of that kind of stuff regarding the board and our facilities. But, you know, it, it worries me because most of the reports tonight that the, that the board has given have all made me feel like we're doing la, 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 la. Everything is wonderful, la, la, la. And, and I, every day I have to get up that I, I, the glass is always half full for me. So, you know, so when I say that, it's like, what's really going on? Because when you all are presenting your reports, you're, you're, you're in a different dynamic than what the rest of us are actually in and living it. So there's a big disconnect on what I'm hearing from board reports. Let me tell you, a, a, and this one's for you, John, on the facilities. Let me tell you a reality, okay? So here we've got, here we have got uh, our workers that are in, over in the MUB building, right? Whether it's registration or whatever for, you know, serving our students. And it's so cold in the building. Our workers have their coats on, their toboggans on, have blankets on them and go on to the managers and, and their fingers are so cold, they can't run the, the keyboards. So the, the manager goes to, to the AVC and facility and says, hey, we need, some, we need some heat over here in the mud building. John, here's the one that gets me, the zinger, okay? The answer that the AVC gave the manager, this is what I was told, okay? We've, we've made an adjustment in the mud building on the temperature. It takes 10 days for the temperature to go up. So, and that was kind of the end of it, right? I mean, the, that's the answer. And here's the thing. I know that's, I know that's a, an honest answer. Because right? I do know a little bit about the smart buildings and how they work and, and the geothermal, the heating and cooling through the underground and all of that. Um, um, but at the end of the day, if I'm the manager and I've got workers in an environment like that and I call somebody in charge of facilities and they give me that answer, that's not okay. If the discussion doesn't go further with the manager and the, and the facilities uh, uh, administrator to say, all right, I hear what you're saying. We can't get any heat over there. So the workers and the students and, and everybody that's in that building can function in a reasonable environment. What can we do to, what's the closer resolution to waiting for 10 days? Is it, I mean, think of it. If, if it takes 10 days for the temperature to go up, it's gonna take 10 days for it to go down. Let's just get real that, you know, adjusting the temperature by the, by the structure that's within that smart building as the MUB is gonna take us nowhere, okay? So now it's like, all right, what are you gonna do facilities manager, right? To help us be able to function in this environment. And then, okay, we got to order some heaters. So then it's, okay, right, we're going to order some heaters. Then, then I find out some heaters got delivered. And now we've got a manager, a manager that only got two heaters of the, of the 10 or 12 that they ordered. And the manager's saying, I'm not giving any heaters out until I get all 10 of them. So those are the kind of the realities of the, of the, of the not functioning operations at the college. Okay, I was worried about the facilities and 
and sanitation and getting the building, the physical, you know, opening the doors and keeping the, everything clean and all of that and the grounds last month. But now the reality of what's going on in the building that I'm sharing around the, you know, facilities is saying we can't get any heat over there. Then they supply heaters and then you got a manager, you know, so all around us in the administration has failed. So that, that isn't la 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 for us. That isn't everything's wonderful that I hear from the reports that you all have given so far tonight on the board. Uh, that's one example. The next example is, all right, we, now we've got, uh, we're having discussions about enrollment. We keep hearing, right? And we keep getting beat over the head with it, even in our HR meetings, right? We get beat over the head with uh, our enrollment is why people are getting laid off. Our enrollment, our enrollment, our enrollment. And we're over here saying, all right, what's the enrollment management plan look like? Those things have always gone together. You got to have an enrollment plan so you can figure out your class schedule, so you can figure out your budget and know you're living within your means. And what, what do we end up with? Getting told we can't afford to have an enrollment management plan. We can't afford to add classes. We have no plan to try to grow the college, to dig our way out of this the worst, probably the worst enrollment in our history. So if, if we're all on the same page and on the same team about supporting whatever it is we're supposed to be supporting now, I, it leaves me, it just leaves me very much concerned. And is it what Simon said? Do we have to protect what's left? I'm more worried about, are we, is there gonna be anything left on what we're supporting right now? So I ask of you board members, please open your eyes a little bit wider, open your ears a little bit more and ask more questions. Cause I really believe in my heart, you all are getting very, very little information. So I get all I need to say tonight and uh, thank you. Thank you. Okay, let's see. The next one we have is um, AFT Local 2121. And Hi. I think we have um, Malika Finkelstein. Yes. Hi. Yes, I'm here. Um, so this is the end of my term as AFT 2121 president. So like Simon, it's my last. Sorry. Um, I apologize. Um, so like Simon, it's my last constituent report to you. And I am thrilled that Mary Bravewoman will be our next president. So you'll be hearing from her. Um, my comments today are a little long, but this is my last one. So I hope you'll bear with me. Um, you know, I, I'm sorry, I never managed to do something I really wanted to do. I, I never managed to make my board presentation with sock puppets or to make my presentation in the form of a skit or a song. You know, I plan to, I wanted to every single month. I even wrote some skits for this. Um, but every single month there were these serious things that took all my time and I thought, okay, I'll be serious this month. I'll hold off the sock puppets for next time. And next time never happened in two years. Here we are. And, you know, it's because I'm supposed to tell you how faculty are doing and, and that's really hard. I mean, people are getting physically sick. More of my colleagues are in the hospital than I have ever seen before. And I'm not talking about COVID. I mean, the stress and the overwork and the lack of support. Pink slipped faculty can't even get the respect of clarity on basics like what's gonna happen with medical insurance. 
a statement from you saying that you aren't blaming faculty for their own layoffs would be nice, but it's just empty words if that's the only change that you're making. And empty words is sort of my theme here. I'm gonna come back to it in a minute. Um, look, City College is such a gem, you know, this is a beautiful, vibrant piece of working class San Francisco and it saves lives. And you're the board. So what can you do so that the people working here actually want to stay? You know, you set that tone, you create the tone, it comes from the top. Um, it's hard every month to decide which things to bring to you, which things can stand in for all the many, many, many other things that are going on all at once. So I picked one that happened this week. Um, well, you went to City Hall to accept congratulations on behalf of our winning basketball team, while also voting to get rid of the athletics counselor who serves those basketball players and keeps them in school. And you did it with a straight face. That's what we're facing here. Um, here's another one. Administration says, we borrowed $21 million from OPEB and it sounds scary, right? So we looked into it, turns out it wasn't a loan. We don't have to pay it back. Even the actuarial report at the time said so. And administration looks serious and concerned and doesn't respond. And then a week later, they tell us again, we borrowed $21 million from OPEB. So the sky is falling, right? So we show again why it's not a loan and we don't have to pay it back and they nod and look serious. And then a week later, they come back to us with, we're in trouble with Thickmat because we borrowed $21 million from OPEB. That's what we're dealing with here. It only matters what is said, not actual facts or numbers. It, it, it's the empty words thing, right? The, the words are considered to be the important thing, not the reality. Um, I, we, I, I told you last month and I think the month before, about some something that's going on with return to campus safety. Um, our college doesn't have a way to verify COVID vaccination for fall. And unless we figure that way out, we will be an unvaccinated campus. And when I say this, administration looks horrified and concerned. And it turns out that they're actually concerned about me using the phrase unvaccinated campus. They're upset about the words, but not about the thing itself. Now, I don't wanna play that. I'm not here to give you words or sell something. I'm here to represent faculty. And it's so hard to know how to fit that into this space, if this space is only about spin. Now, we need a board who will do better than that, that will see the actual college with the actual humans who work and learn here. And I had hoped that you would be that board. And you know, you still can be that board, even now. Um, for me personally, there's something I, I've done with myself for years. If I have to make important decisions, I try to consider the information I have, what I think I know. And I ask myself, well, what if I were wrong? What would be the signs? How would I know? How could I tell, right? If lots of people disagree with me, maybe I should look at it. When a lot of qualified people examine the budget and tell you there's a surplus and then administration refuses to engage, debate, or show their work, maybe you should listen to those qualified people. You know, there are a lot of teachers who do actually know how to do math. Um, so how do you cultivate that, right? As individuals or as a board, how do you cultivate that? How do you begin to listen for real and to listen for what if we're wrong? Well, one start is by listening to your student trustee. Think about what you can do so that that student trustee has a voice on this board and a vote if that turns out to be possible within the law. Another big thing is you can treat public comment like it matters. 
as the input that you need before you make decisions. Not like a bad taste you're trying to get out of your mouth. You can put down your phone while we speak. At one point earlier in my term, um, you committed to taking one hour in closed session and then coming back to the open meeting and then going back to closed session later if you needed more time. That was respectful of the people who come here. And I'm so sorry to see that respect fall by the wayside. You know, we're the ones who do the work of this college and the ones who learn at this college. And we're also the ones whose votes put you here. So that means we're the ones who have the information that you need to make decisions. Now, you voted to lay people off. You're talking about people's livelihoods and education. I know people who were little, literally become homeless behind this. But you say you're worried about having your meeting go late. You know, that, that's not gonna sound good to folks listening. You voted to close entire departments of this college and you think people shouldn't express anger, that's not trusteeship. But you can actually do better, you can. You can direct this administration to give the departments, all the departments, at least as much FTEF this coming academic year as they had in 21-22. The money's there. And most of it is already planned for the departments. The schedule's already made and the students are already enrolling and all they have to do is not cut it. And then there are a few departments where they've already cut, where they've removed fully enrolled classes. You have the money available to restore it. So we can have a custodial program and a motorcycle maintenance program and students can take English and ESL and business and biology and see the counselors and use our library. And all they have to do is maintain this year's budget without reductions. The money is there. The budget balances with the reserve you need. It is fiscally responsible. It is sound management and it meets that fiduciary responsibility that you keep talking about, it meets your FICMAT and accreditation. But not if you're just a rubber stamp for this administration. You're the board, you can choose to do better. And so if you choose not to, then you're someone else's board, not ours. You're muted. Sorry. Sorry. Yes, I just saw that. Um, yeah, I keep having the J churches run by, so I mute it off and on. Uh, the Administrators Association Co-Chairs Report, Jill Yee. Thank you. Good evening. On May 5th, the board voted five to one to approve the layoff of 38 tenured faculty. Of course, there was strong opposition to this unprecedented decision. I heard a call to find compromise. If you have a long view of the college, you know we have compromised so much for so long, we have quite literally compromised the future of this institution. We compromised ourselves into insolvency. Compromising brought us to the brink and this painful decision was in fact our last resort. Some view the layoff decision as the easy way out, the lazy solution. Only the most callous, cynical crit critics would believe laying off classified employees 
faculty and administrators is in any way easy. Nothing can be further from the truth. What's easy is to blame everything on the chancellor, Vice Chancellor John Alamine and the administrator du jour. This misdirects and deflect from the hard conversations that need to be had, but are avoided at all costs. To make my point, let me share an analogy. I see a glossy ad for a restaurant, let's call it City Eats, and it comes with a discount coupon to entice customers. It piques my interest, so I check out the menu. Unfortunately, I find the menu is lacking and nothing really appeals to me. In spite of the brand, the freebies, and marketing strategy, each consumer must ask, will I get my money's worth? Is it worth my time? And will I be a satisfied customer? Bottom line, to grow City College will depend on what we have to offer, what's on our menu. There is a presumption that all of our programs and classes are created equal, have equal value, sustainable, productive, and leaves customers satisfied. If we're sincere about growing to college, we must start looking under the hood. 10 plus one mandates that curriculum, programs, degrees, and certificates are under the purview of the faculty. This is the heart and soul of the college. Yet the repeated messaging has been, if classes are low enrolled, it's because administration is downsizing and causing a death spiral. That's the easy explanation. That's the go-to explanation. No need to dive deeper, full stop. We are at a crossroad. What will a sustainable city college look like? What do we grow and what do we let go? Is growth simply about restoring what we've lost? Moving forward will mean creating new majors geared towards today's evolving careers while eliminating others. No longer can we commit resources for classes that amount to little more than one faculty's passion project, which garners little student interest. No takers, let's double down and make it a certificate program, thus giving it cover so we can then accuse administration of destroying our programs and preventing students from finishing their education. Truth be told, too often programs are recycled courses with the degree or certificate attached hoping students to take the bait. Churning out more GE courses also won't lead to increased enrollment. It only leads to competition within and between departments. 
I counted 261 courses available to satisfy one three-unit CSU GE requirement. This means departments are essentially fighting over the same students. If the classes don't fill, again, blame downsizing and the death spiral couldn't possibly be because it was dead on arrival as we cannibalize each other. In gro enrollment growth lies in programs like the new social rope social work program in behavioral science under the leadership of department chair Jay Carlin. This is a model program combining CTE and transfer degree with community partnerships. Enrollment is exploding and attracting new students to the college. Many of these students already have related work experience and GE credits to apply to the major and can, gra and can graduate by the second semester. Through a partnership with Episcopal Community Services, they will fund faculty salary, program development, provide student training, and paid work experience for our students with opportunities to work with graduate students. Jay Carlin and Brett Burning, employment and training specialists in our career service office have done an amazing job cultivating a partnership with UCSF. UCSF is facing a shortage of social workers needed to address the mental health, homeless, and drug problems in San Francisco. Brett and Jay collaborated with UCSF to establish an employment pipeline for our social work students. UCSF will hire our graduating students who have relevant work experience while they finish their BA degree. UCSF will also hold a job fair for our currently enrolled students for entry level community jobs. So after graduation, they will already be integrated into the UC system, employed in union jobs and can then pivot to a full social work position once they get their BA. Because their hiring process is so arduous, UCSF will send staff to the social work classes to help our students navigate the hiring process. UCSF is committed to referring their lower level employees to start their social work degree at City College. This is our future, partnerships with external entities that lead to completion, a degree and employment. This is the model of collaboration within the college and the broader community. This is what it means to be a community college, community partnerships meeting community needs. I can already hear the pushback, but City College is more than just about jobs. 
if you believe if you believe that then you are out of touch with our students yet another soundbite to justify classes that just aren't sustainable if you want city college to be all things to all people just make sure it's sustainable there is brewing resentment among faculties whose classes are filled to capacity while other classes have less than 10. There is resentment of that among faculty whose programs can't grow because programs that are on life support are siphoning off resources. There is resentment when race diversity and sound bites like, oh, they want to turn us into a junior college is used as a proxy for self-preservation. All of these issues must be addressed in order to move forward. Chancellor Martin is positioning the college to grow by balancing the budget, getting us out from under enhanced fiscal monitoring maintaining our accreditation and building a sustainable infrastructure? Will we have the courage to drill down and objectively evaluate our programs? Will critical thinking be suspended for the sake of collegiality, academic freedom, 10 plus one? Will our future be more about self-preservation or students first? Time will tell. So let me just close with some friendly advice to Chancellor Martin. The next time someone is so bold as to confront you and demand your plan to increase in enrollment, simply reply the better question is what's on our menu. Thank you. And congratulations to the class of 2022. Okay, thank you very much. Um, now we have Department Chair Council President's Report, Darlene Alioto. Uh, good evening, trustees. Uh, as you can imagine tonight, we are still a, a college that is deeply grieving. Um, I could tell you tonight everything that's wrong. Uh, I could tell you that it was wrong to break tenure for 38 of our most valued and talented colleagues. I could tell you that it's wrong to hold a board committee meeting totally in person with no uh, virtual option at a time when more than half of our classes and faculty are still in the remote mode, uh, thereby limiting participation. But instead, if you will give me a few moments this evening, I would like to concentrate for a few moments on what's right. I want to extend from the department chairs, congratulations to the engineering faculty and students on defending their title after a pandemic hiatus and again winning the Regatta Cup, which was a win over Cal Poly, San Joaquin Delta, Cal State Maritime, Chico State, Sonoma State, Ohlone, Skyline, Chabot, Bakersfield, uh, to name a few. Faculty and students spent many nights burning the midnight oil in the science building as they prepared for the race. 
And they also won trophies for the best video, for endurance, technical design, and artistic design. So to all of those uh, individuals that played a part in that, um, kudos and a job well done. Our new cannabis studies program will graduate its first class in a few days. Five students have completed the program and we congratulate them and all of the faculty who offered the courses and launched and supported the program. We have a myriad of students tonight that will be obtaining their AA and their AAT degrees, as well as their certificates of achievement in a myriad of areas, including social work, critical Middle East, Southwest Asia, and North African studies, collaborative design, critical Pacific Island and Oceania studies, diversity and social justice studies, and many more. Students are graduating in every single one of our departments in the next couple of weeks. And in spite of all of the distracting noise around the campus, the faculty and staff have succeeded in helping our students accomplish their goals. Their goal of continuing their education and transferring to some of the most prestigious four years institutions in this country. As an example, our honor student societies will be transferring students to UC Berkeley, UCLA, UC Davis, Harvard, Columbia, NYU, just to name a few. And many of our students, like our own nursing, EMT, and DMI programs, by the way, 100% passing the state licensing board exam, will be transferring to prestigious uh, vocational programs throughout the country, as well as to UCSF and Stanford. Our fire academy and police academy students will be going out into the community to help make our world a safer place. And we could go on. Regardless of where our students move on to, our prime role is to help provide the knowledge and skills for these students of all ages to accomplish their dreams. And so tonight, the department chair council extends thanks to all of the faculty and staff and to all of the department chairs and the administrators who have supported them for making a difference and changing lives. We extend our congratulations to all of the graduates in the class of 2022. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and now we're going to go to the monthly budget update. And we have um, AVC Alamine. Well, thank you, President Davila and Board of Trustees, Chancellor Martin, uh, administrators and guests. Uh, if you will take a look at our end of April report, if we can go down to the 431 column, it's the gray column on the end. And I will walk you through a couple of different highlights. Um, we still are projecting uh, revenue at roughly about $186 million. 
um, for the end of the year. That means the full receipt of everything that was projected as part of our adoption budget. Um, as you can see, the April numbers, um, we've received uh, a, the bulk of our state funding. We still have two apportionment payments left through the end of the year. Um, same for local. Um, we're still waiting on uh, items from sales tax and our other local income uh, that's a part of uh, our end of year. We are still planning as we look at lost revenue and a number of sources as we did in prior year implementing the full transfer of $4.1 million from our HERF and the 19.9 million represents our parcel tax. Um, all of the expenditures which are in the gray column 431 are inclusive of all expenditures from July through the end of April um, as was posted as of May 11th. Um, I'll just go and highlight a couple as you can see um, in the certificated area as of the end of April. We spent roughly 57, almost 58 million. On average, we spend about $6 million, so, or $6 million per month. So if we look at basically another $12 million of expenditures, now there is in June, there are a couple of our, uh, a couple of our line items which do not have full month's expenditures. So our projection of 68 million um, should be close to where we plan the end of the year. And we use the same methodology that's going down all the way through each of the different um, classified areas. Again, there's nothing that in looking over our actual expenditures that we are particularly concerned about at this point. Um, we are, however, looking at if everything without doing our final true up, um, we still are showing that we are slightly over our revenue target for the year. Um, but as we do our cleanup in June and July, um, we should be able to balance this out. So for all intensive purposes, we are still looking at um, close to a balanced budget as we anticipated at the beginning of the year. Um, so with that, I'll open up to any questions from the board. Okay. Um, are there any hands? Because if there's not, I have a question. Sure. Um, what is, you said that will probably balance out, but there might be a little over or under. Is that the idea? Well, currently based upon where we are with, as you can see, we spend, we have spent as of the end of April, roughly $153 million. So over the next two months, we're expecting that we'll spend roughly 24 million. Um, or I'm sorry, we'll spend roughly 34 million. But if you can tell, if you look at some of our expense, we spent on average roughly about 16 or some odd million dollars. There are a couple payments that we still need to resolve in the month of June. Um, we figure that with some uh, end of year balance readjusting, um, we should be on target to spend roughly about 187, 108, 188 million dollars. We're hoping it's basically closer to the 187 rather than the 188. But we still have a number, there are a number of adjustments that we still make at the end of the year, both from the revenue and the expenditure perspective. But overall, I would say that this budget is probably as close to balance as it's going to be. We don't expect anything, for, particularly for this month, which is halfway over. Um, we are having uh, departments issue and send to us their final invoices and reconcile expenditures for the end of the year so that we can basically hopefully be able to get our books closed uh, by at least by mid-August. Um, prior years, we've kind of extended that into August and September, and we're trying to kind of, I won't say expedite things, but kind of streamline our year-end process 
um, so that we can get our books adjusted and we can get final tallies, not only to you for your final review, but also to our auditors so that we can present our unaudited actual report sometime in July, if not early August. Okay. It is hard to read, but I don't know if there's any other way to do these spreadsheets. Um, hard to read in terms of size or in terms of... No, in, in terms of size, and it might just be me and my failing eyes. Oh, um, don't, but I, don't. I know you can expand it in, um, but um, anyway, that's what I was wondering. And basically, I want to know if you're looking at that ballpark of balancing. Yes, we, we are. We are in the ballpark. We're, we're again, we we still from the current projection based upon revenues. We are trending that we're slightly high, and that's because we do have a couple areas that have exceeded what we initially established as budget targets at the beginning of this year. Um, but we do have flexibility and we do have some confidence that some of the expenditures hopefully will not, um, they will come in under what we've anticipated for the year. And so we should be able to balance these out. Okay. And I do see uh, Trustee Chisty. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you for the presentation. I just wanted um, to add that I think it would be really helpful if the if this document was supplemented with like five to six bullet points of some sort that we want the public to take away that we want the trustees to take away. Um, and then it just also would be helpful as you know, we can go back and reference the main bullet points from the previous month. So I think it's just kind of figuring out how to make this maybe less technical and more like digestible for the public, but I, I appreciate the update. Thank you. No, certainly Trustee Chisty. Um, we could use our cover sheet, which is also against the board doc, it's the governing document that's used by the board as part of your agenda. Um, we can use that analysis area to provide some highlights for you. If that will make it a little bit more readable and understandable, we can do that. That's not a problem. Okay. Were there any other questions? Um, let me see if there's anybody else in the queue. No, it does not look like there's anyone else. Okay. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Okay, and now we have... Um... Oh. <laughs> I lost. Excuse me, President Dabla, we do have public comment. Okay, great. Uh, Abigail Bornstein. Oh, I'm so sorry. Susanna Atwood, my apologies. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. yes. This is Susanna Atwood, retired business faculty. I just wanted to point out two things on this updated report. I compared this new one from May to the last one we got in April. And there are two lines where there are major differences. The first one is there's 3 million in additional local revenue, and that's as a result of the changing the deficit factor and making it smaller. And the second one is the line that has to do with insurance slash SERP payments, which is the golden handshake payments. And that one, it is the expense is 850,000 lower so I guess what I mainly wanted to point out is these two items now match the alternative budget. 
put out by AFT 2121. So these are two items. We're happy to see they've been changed, but just want to point out that in these two areas, AFT 2121 was correct. Thank you. Thank you. That concludes public comment for this item. Okay, great. And uh, let's see what we have next. Um, A59, the action items receive and file the June 30th, 2021 General Obligation Bond Fund Audit Report. Chancellor? Uh, yes, President Dabo, and I will pass it off to Vice Chancellor Dr. Allen. All right. Well, trustees, I have more good news to report. If we can open up the bond audit report and go to page 21 of the final, it's page 21 of 30. And while we're going there, I'll just kind of just briefly, uh, the auditors um, went over on in this page is in it, it would be page 16 of the report, but it's page 21 of the PDF. Um, they identified expenditures and projects which were related to our general obligation bond proceeds. Um, they included roughly 19 million of the non-payroll transactions. That was over 70% of the total non-payroll expenditures, which were roughly about 27.6 million for the period. Um, they also uh, reviewed all payroll transactions. Um, it was 100% of the payroll transactions was roughly about 875,000. Their findings were the district, we were in compliance with the requirements of the 2005 and 2020 election. Um, we had supporting documents for expenditures that were aligned with the voter approved projects and expenditures were not used for the salaries of administrators or other operating expenses of the district. Um, so in all respects, we properly accounted for the expenditures held in the general obligation bond funds and that all expenditures were made for authorized bond projects. And that was under procedure A. Um, under procedure B and C, um, they reviewed, and D, um, they reviewed other adopted budgets and other items within those particular line items. Um, there was nothing that was found significant. The only item of note, if we go to the almost the final page, which is page 29, is or actually page 30. Um, this this finding is in reference to the prior year audit report. And this was provided so that it goes over and gives a current status on the prior year finding and the question costs. And as you can see, we implemented the uh, resolution that was proposed last year. And that was to make sure that all salaries uh, and benefits which are associated with the use of the bond or for employees who actually are assigned to the general obligation bond program. This was something that unfortunately was not done in 2019-20. It was done in 2020-21. Therefore, there's no finding for this year, but we did resolve the finding from 2019-20. So again, it, it's, a, it's a positive. We're moving in a, in a the positive and forward direction. Um, and we wanted to make sure that the trustees were well aware of that. And with that, I'd like to open it up for any questions you have regarding the general obligation bond report. Okay. Um, yes, Trustee Chisty. Thank you. Um, and, and thank you for the 
the update and maybe this question is geared more towards um chancellor martin um but yeah i, I think i, I that, that's kind of, that's concerning to me that um there were costs that were that went to the bond the for administrators um that were not supposed to right and so that means that there is there's a there's a breakdown somewhere in our internal controls because i'm i'm kind of having a deja vu of free city where we couldn't account for which administrators that was what the audit also found was that there were administrators that were billed for the program but that couldn't be verified and so um yeah i, I just like this is small but it's important because i think there's just a breakdown somewhere and so I think I just want to tie this back to the conversation about having our own um, auditor or controller that's catching these things before um, and, and the auditor finds it. And so, um, and and I, I know this was probably before your time, Dr. Alamine, so I, I'm not, you know, gearing this towards you, but, you know, a chance or Martin just wanted to know your thoughts about about this because it's, you know, there's a breakdown somewhere and it's not okay. And, you know, how do we make sure that these things do not, like they should not occur in the first place? Uh, thank you very much, Trustee Chisty, for those comments. And I, I very much agree that we need to have uh, internal control systems and structures in place uh, to catch uh, these items prior to uh, the external auditors doing so, and then ultimately writing an audit finding on which we would need to address. So using uh, this bond report as an example, the 1920 year identified expenditures that were charged to the bond that were not appropriate based on the language of the ballot initiative. Uh, moving forward, uh, we have addressed that through, uh, you know, strengthening it and making sure that our internal controls catch that. I, I think you make a great comment in regards to an additional layer, uh, that being an internal auditor position. Uh, having that position uh, on staff would allow uh, that external or that audit uh, viewpoint to go through our records and our financial statements uh, prior to submission to external uh, auditors or agencies uh, to catch these items and allow us to correct them before uh, they end up in an audit report. So I, I do agree uh, that these are the types of things we need to address and clean up uh, because ultimately moving forward with continued audit findings uh, is an accreditation issue uh, that will need to ultimately be addressed if we are to have a full seven year uh, cycle approval here in the coming year. Yep, thank you. And, and uh, maybe this is a conversation to happen in budget and finance committee about what this position could look like and how soon we can kind of institute this so thank you um that's a good idea to have that in the budget and finance committee we've been um, discussing this and the chancellor knows that that we want to have someone in that type of position in an outside position um <laughs> trustee rizzo yeah, I, I just wanted to chime in and agree that uh, this does show the need for that position and um, uh, understand it was, uh, you know, a one time thing in this case, but we, the chancellor is right, we can't keep having these, these kinds of things um, in our audits. So, 
so I, I hope we can get someone in as, as soon as possible. <laughs> Thanks. <clears throat> okay. And is there anyone else in the, no, I don't see anybody else. Um, okay. So let's get back. Sorry, my, my screen is shifting. Here we go. Okay. Um, can, oh, wait, I'm sorry. B60 receive and file the June 30th, 2021 Ooh. parcel tax audit report. Yeah. You'll need to take action on it. Trustee Dovla. Okay. Oh, for the, um, a 59. Yes. Yes. Okay. So let's go ahead and, um, get a vote. So all those in favor of receiving. I didn't, did you get a first and a second? I'm just going to ask right now. I'm just explaining what it is. Um, receive and file the June 30th, 2021 general obligation bond fund audit report. Is there a move to? So moved. Okay. And is there a second? I can. Okay. I think I heard um, Vice President Rizzo and... Trustee Chisty. Okay, so let's go ahead and um, take a roll call vote. It's student Trustee Villalobos. Yes. President Davila. Yes. Vice President Rizzo. Yes. <clears throat> Trustee Chisty. Aye. Uh, Trustee Wong. Yes. The motion passes. Okay, great. Now we can go to B60. Yes. And another piece of good news. If you will please pull up the parcel tax audit and we go to page 19 of the document. And this is for the parcel tax. Um, again, the auditors went through uh, journal entries, invoices, payroll records, and other supporting documentation. Um, they uh, identified expenditures by going to the general ledger. They collected a sample of expenditures, considering all expenditures recorded in all object codes, um, all expenditures recorded in all projects from July 1 of 2020 through July to June 30th of 2021. And they included payroll-related transactions totaling $3 million, which was 18% of the total payroll expenditures. Um, and they selected non-payroll expenditures with roughly 59%. And after review of all the journal entries and documentation, the results indicated that in all significant respects, we properly accounted for the expenditures held in the Prop A parcel tax fund and that all expenditures were made for the purposes and activities that were authorized by the voters approved in Proposition A. So again, as we pointed out in the last parcel, in the last um, bond audit and in this respect, um, the financial office has made significant adjustments to ensure that position control has been implemented that we are accounting for all expenditures in their proper um, locations according to all bond and other language associated with these funds. And we are moving forward to ensure that we are in total compliance with all uh, laws, rules, and regulations concerning the expenditure of the resources that have been allocated to the college. 
So with that, I would open it up for any questions for any of the Board of Trustees. Okay, are there any questions in the queue? Or are you ready to move this? Uh, I will move it and, and uh, well done. <laughs> Is that a just uh, trustee Chisty? Is that a second? Second. Okay. So it's been moved and seconded. Are there any <laughs> trustees that want to speak to this? Okay. Let's go ahead and have a roll call vote. Uh, Is there any public comment? No, there isn't. Okay. A uh, student trustee Villalobos advisory vote. Aye. President Davila. Yes. Vice President Rizzo? Yes. Trustee Chisty? Aye. Trustee Wong? Yes. The motion passes. Okay, great. And now we have um, the consent items. And do I have a motion to put all the consent items together? Yes, so moved for, for all, all three batches of them. Okay, and um, Trustee Chisty? Second. Okay, thank you. I was just counting on your, your second. Okay, any discussion? Yes, could I pull 12B? Um, yes. And uh, is that 12B um, to pull out or just ask a question about it? Uh, just to have a uh, discussion discussion on it. Okay. Um, and Chancellor. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Did you want to read those, Trustee Chisty? Yes. Okay. Great. Go for it. <laughs> um, just um, uh, carrying on. Um, tradition at this point and wanted to um, recognize um, uh, all of the retirements, our faculty, um, administrative retirements that we have here. So I'd like to just take a moment to uh, read their names and their years of service to our college. Um, so we first have Hugo, uh, uh, and I apologize in advance if I mispronounce your name. Aparicio. Aparicio, um, 35 years um, at City College, Cullen Bailey Burns, um, six years, Lennis Carlson, 26 years and six, month, uh, six months, Robert Irwin, 40 years and four months, Judy Kaplan, 20 years and eight months, Lorraine Leber, 33 years, um, Sui Ken Lee, 14 years and seven months, Irene McCormick, 40 years, Lori Roberts, 41 years, uh, Jane Wong, 37 years. And um, we also have um, Aliyah Dunn-Salahuddin, 11 years of service at our college, Wendy Miller, 17 years. Um, and I also see Frank Granditz. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for your service to our students, our community, our beloved college, and for, um, countless hours of work and we appreciate you we recognize we recognize you and thank you thank you alia i mean the trustee chisty thank you very much um okay so let's take a roll call vote on the consent agenda excuse me president Dottola, I, I, comment. no but i thought um i need to I, um, 
If I may, I believe the uh, consent items uh, stand as written. Just wanted to double check. Okay. Okay. Um, student Trustee Villalobos? Aye. President Davila? Yes. Vice President Rizzo? Yes. Trustee Chisti? Aye. Trustee Wong? Yes. The motion passes. Okay. And now we're getting to, um, you know, my transitions between these, I have to, because of my eyesight, I have to make this very big on my screen. So I'm not always looking at the, I'm, I'm looking at our agenda and not the little pictures of you on Zoom. Okay, so I'm trying to go back and forth with that. So now we get to, um, let's see, we did, we did 11 through 14. I'm sorry, 15. And that now we're, correct. and now we're on to policies. So, um, A71. Uh, yes, President Davila, thank you. And I will pass it off to Associate Vice Chancellor Charles, who has uh, shepherded these policies through our governance process and present them this evening for a first read to the board. Um, can't hear. AVC Charles, I, I don't believe we're able to hear. I'm audio. so sorry. I had my <laughs> microphone up. Is that better? Thank you. Um, so again, thank you. And this is a first read of a small change to board policy 1.00, uh, which contains our official uh, vision and mission statements. Uh, that change specifically is to delete the last sentence about reviewing the vision and mission statements annually. This change came out of um, actually the planning committee uh, when they were making more extensive changes to our administrative procedures associated with this board policy, uh, which we have included here for you um, as an information item. And those more extensive changes to the administrative procedure change the scope uh, of the administrative procedure to focus on the review of the language and the mission and vision statements to better align with the accreditation standards. And the revised administrative procedures also specifically uh, indicate that we will review our vision, vision and mission, I often blend those together, um, statements periodically, not annually. So we wanted this to be consistent. Um, and uh, also that particular sentence before you that has been stricken is not technically part of our vision and mission statements for all so all the more reason to remove them from this particular policy okay and is this a first reading this is a first read yes okay so trustees any questions or comments it looks like we're pretty straightforward here so why don't we go on to the next one? I do see that Trustee Rizzo has his hand raised, I believe. Oh, does he? Let me see. Oh, yes, there you go. Yes, are. I do. I have one. Is your camera off? Well, I have a question. Okay, go ahead.
we can't hear you. Um, thank you. Um, my camera is off. Okay. Internet stability. I think we're um, having the same problem, uh, um, Vice President Rizzo. Typically, we can't hear the, you. The board, we can't. Oh my. Okay, now we how, can. How is that? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Is that better? Hello. Yes. 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 Can you hear me? Okay. I don't know what to do then. Oh, you can. Yes, we okay. can. Um, <clears throat> I can hear you. Yes. Yes. Proceed. Hmm. Wow. Now he disappeared. Okay. Well, let's see if we can um, talk about the memorials and naming before he gets back in. And well, then I'm we'll back now. Are you, are you back? The connection dropped. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm here, actually. I'm here. Okay, go ahead. My, my question is about the, uh, the, the proposal by the academics <laughs> Senate that we had uh, today in today's mm -hmm. academic Senate report is that so that we can consider adding June June uh, uh, retreat? No. We missed part of that. Do you want to put it in the chat? <clears throat> Yeah, when when will we see the academic senate proposal? Hmm. Well, so oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. Uh, so yes, that will as as uh, academic senate president Hansen indicated that will require broad input. The administrative procedures actually do spell out a process, and we have been queuing up that process to begin next year, um, and. I imagine that what we will be doing in the fall is having discussions. And we, one thing we have to start with is a timeline because that review of the mission, and we absolutely want to honor the proposal that has come forward. Um, and we also need to be looking at data related to the mission. Uh, we'll actually be kicking that off with you this summer during the retreat. And I think Trustee Rizzo, you said something about the summer retreat. Um, so it will be coming back um, throughout the course of that process. Us. Trustee Rizzo. Thank you. Oh, we heard that. <laughs> okay. Um, any other trustees want to comment on this? All right. So we are going to go to B72 Memorials and Naming. First reading. All right, I'll just keep going then. <laughs> this, so this is again, a revised board policy uh, on naming and memorials. And these changes to the board policy also emerged through the course of our participatory governance process when we were developing administrative procedures to accompany the board policy, uh, namely a fantastic work group uh, of the Participatory Governance Facilities Committee spent considerable time on those procedures as well as on 
the board policy itself. Um, and we've also provided the procedures here as an information item. Um, and these have been recommended uh, as the last one was as well by the Participatory Governance Council. Okay. And these are what we had heard in the um, facilities meeting also? Yes, absolutely, yes. Okay, and um, one and correct me if I, I've already asked you this before, but I thought I had asked to see what other institutions yes. are doing as well. Yes, and um, so, and I know you were interested in what I think would effectively be a rubric for making decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and I did consult the work group to find out what they had looked into. They had looked at you know, what other colleges were doing, that became the basis for the administrative procedures. They did not see specific criteria in terms of how you might weight one decision, you know, a decision and weight certain criteria over another. Certainly what we see out there when it comes to naming a facility based on a financial contribution, that it may be that a percentage uh, that you might want that you might consider naming a facility if the donor is giving a certain percentage of the total building costs, for example. But mm -hmm. that's the closest we came to any kinds of criteria. And I also then looked at a number of different colleges and I just came up empty. Most of their administrative procedures look very much like ours. I could not find actual criteria in terms of how one might rate each of the, of the naming proposals. Okay. Any other questions on this one? This is first reading, so it will come back to us, and I'm assuming it'll come back to us in a facilities meeting for the second reading. I don't think so. I think, well, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is it goes to the committee first just for vetting, then it comes to the board for a first read and then straight to a second read. Okay, all right. Um, I see we have Trustee Wong in the queue. Yeah, so, what would be the process of um, naming a building? Uh, uh, you know, I believe uh, before, yeah, there, I mean, there was a resolution that was passed to support naming a building after uh, a, yeah, um, after Harry Britt. So I wanted to see if once this policy passes, if uh, are there any steps that need to be taken or does that resolution, would that resolution already, um, already there, the, uh, satisfy whatever requirements are needed here? There would be steps that need to be taken in the administrative procedures. Uh, it calls for a proposal. I think um, that prior resolution could certainly serve as at least a portion of a proposal. Um, that proposal would be submitted to the chancellor's office and then taken from there um, and shepherded through the participatory governance process for consideration. And then ultimately, coming to the board because the ultimate decision will rest with the board. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Because, you know, I've been kind of, kind of re received this kind of uh, once in a while communications with, uh, um, yeah, um, former trustee at uh, Tim Wolfred yeah. and also uh, uh, former assembly member uh, uh, Tom Amiano. They've been just kind of uh, reaching out about this so you know, definitely want to make sure we follow through yes thank you okay and now um new board policy c73 
multiple and overlapping enrollments, first reading. Kristen, is that yours also? It's not. I don't know, Chancellor Martin, if you wanted to take that, um, given that Vice Chancellor Bogle is not here, or I certainly can do my best. <laughs> uh, yes, and if I may just uh, provide a brief update, uh, as uh, ABC Charles mentioned, uh, Vice Chancellor Bogle is not able uh, to join us this evening, but in front of the board for a first read. Uh, as approved uh, to move forward by the Student Success and Policy Subcommittee, we have uh, the new board policy regarding multiple and overlapping enrollments. This is the board policy and administrative procedure that oversees uh, situations where students may take uh, classes at uh, similar or same uh, timeframes. So this is the, the governing policy that would uh, help direct us in those situations and I would be happy to answer any questions that the trustees may have. Uh, once again, this is a first read and will be brought back to the full board next month for a second read on potential adoption. Thank you. Okay. Um, does anybody have any questions on this? Does anybody know what multiple and overlapping enrollments are okay thank you so so yes this if i can just kind of regurgitate it for public consumption is that essentially two classes can be offered um sometimes there's like an overlap of some sort in the timing and teachers are able to provide like a waiver to students so they're able to enroll and take the classes concurrently and this is already an existing practice but this board policy would codify it. Um, so, and the second thing that we talked about was that how can we, um, because this is institutional knowledge, right? The student would need to know to request that from a teacher or know that's, avail that's available. So we also had um, a discussion about how can we pass that institutional knowledge? Like how could counselors let students know that this is an option? So um, yeah, and I see student trustee Villalobos uh, put in time conflict form. So that might be, so I hope that uh, explains it in <laughs> more basic terms. Okay. Um, thank you for that explanation. So um, let me ask a question about that though, because I was under the impression that we had certain start times and that they don't overlap. Is that not the case? We do have uh, schedules that are developed in, in block uh, timeframes, but we also have uh, different types of disciplines and uh, courses that uh, overlap within those blocks. So, for example, if a student were to take a accounting class on Monday at 10 o'clock, they could also potentially take a biology class at Monday at 10 o'clock as well. Uh, in that situation, the conflict or the time conflict form uh, would be an opportunity for the student to petition to potentially enroll into both sections. Okay. How do they attend two sections at the same time? Maybe and that's something that would have to be justified on the form and ultimately uh, vetted and approved by uh, members of our college. Okay. All right. And I see um, Trustee Villalobos's hand up. Yes, I was just going to say that I, I myself have been 
uh, have used the time conflict form before uh, for for classes that do overlap, and it's it's not as as easy as it sounds. You have to get approval from all parties, and just getting that form together is uh, is um, a barrier in itself. But the chancellor already um, mentioned the actual like the blocks and all that. Okay. Thank you. Any other questions about this? Okay, so uh, let's go to D74, Rules of Student Conduct. And would that be uh, the Chancellor or? Uh, yes, and I can go ahead and take this one again in absence of Vice Chancellor Bogle. Uh, but it looks like we are uh, asking for a deletion of the board policy 6.11, the rules of student conduct. And I believe that this was uh, a recommendation from the Academic Senate uh, on March 16th of this year uh, and approved by the Participatory Governance Council as well. Uh, so the deletion of this policy is uh, because it is now uh, included as part of a new policy or board policy 5.16 uh, code of student conduct. So we are ultimately consolidating uh, board policies and are asking to remove uh, board policy 6.11 rules of student conduct from our chapters of board policy. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Um, are there any questions from the trustees on this? Consolidation? It looks like we have none, and that's a first reading also. Chancellor? Yes. Okay. I didn't see it on there, so I wasn't sure. Um, okay, so those are all first readings, and they will be coming back to the board after they go through um, the various committees um, one more time. That is correct. Okay. Thank you. Um, any, uh, I'm sorry, Linda, is there any public comment? No, there is not. Okay. So now we get to 17 board requests for future reports, presentations, and resolutions. And I do know that I've been uh, speaking to the chancellor about some things that are in the pipeline for June and maybe we can have a rundown on some of those things. Uh, yes, President Dalvor. And if I may just uh, add some clarification to your previous question regarding the board policies. Uh, the second read will come back to the full board next month, but in respect to campus committee or board subcommittee, uh, they will not be returning uh, to them uh, prior to coming back to the board next month. So I did just wanna provide that, that clarification. Uh, in regards to item number 17, we are hoping uh, to provide two reports uh, this June, and that is one being uh, an update uh, on our ESL program here at City College and comparison to other uh, programs, not only in the Bay 10, but uh, throughout the state as well. Uh, additionally, as requested at the May 6th board meeting uh, to provide uh, some information and some context on uh, what a process would look like uh, if we are in a position in the future to bring back uh, faculty who have recently been issued a final 
uh, March 15th notices. So those are the two uh, pending uh, agenda presentations that we hope to uh, provide the board in June. Thank you. Okay. Um, and then also I had asked for um, an enrollment plan uh, update and uh, maybe we could get that in, I don't know if it's asking for too much in June, but as, if it's possible to do it in June, that would be great. Otherwise, we would have to wait till um, August. President Dabla, we can absolutely uh, put uh, the framework together for a June discussion and then follow up in August with more of a detailed presentation uh, in respects to fall enrollment and how uh, we could potentially move forward in the 22-23 academic year. So I think we can start the conversation in June uh, with the understanding that a follow-up presentation may be uh, of great value once we're all back from summer break. Okay, fantastic. Um, I see Trustee Villalobos, student Trustee Villalobos, you have your hand up. I do, Chair. Thank okay. you. I, I would also like to see um, for uh, future uh, report or presentation, uh, something that the, the chancellor mentioned earlier, as far as uh, the student uh, trustee uh, voting rights status. And I, I believe you mentioned the um, ed code and maybe a presentation on where it's at and, and, and so forth, if that's a possibility. Is that? Okay. Uh, yes, that is something we can prepare for uh, in June. Okay. Um, Vice President Rizzo. Yeah, I, I was wondering uh, if uh, this is not for a regular board meeting, but at the retreat, the, the Academic Senate has been asking to actually be on our agenda at our board retreat this summer. And I was I'd like to request that 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 happen. I would I would support that and we can we can work out uh, what what the uh, exact agenda item would be. But uh, if we could spare some time for that, I think that would be productive. Thank you. <clears throat> OK, and then Trustee Wong. Uh, I'd like to share that I'm working on some just evaluating some institutional changes and in, uh, our, our budget process and how we can improve uh, our systems and uh, on a long long term uh, basis. So you know, been in communication with the the chancellor and just kind of discussing different uh, ideas and uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, broadening that uh, conversation soon. Thank you. Maybe we can add that in with the request for an independent auditor, and you can update us on the status of that. Boy, uh, it's going to be a full meeting. Uh, yes, they'll uh, uh, be uh, they'll be a part of my my kind of discussion too. Thank you. Okay, and Trustee Rizzo. Uh, I already gave my my suggestion. Oh, Thank your you. hand was still up. I thought you oh, had. Oh, sorry, a... sorry. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, Alan, do you have another one? Uh, no, my hand is just still up. Okay, <laughs> that's all right. Okay, well, we have a pretty full um, agenda then, so you have a lot of work, Chancellor. So now let's go to um, 
Well, first of all, are there any, is there any public comment on 17? No, there is not. Okay, so we'll go to the trustee reports and I'll start with Trustee Rizzo. Uh, I have no reports, thank you. Okay, uh, Trustee Chisty. Yes, I have a few things. Sorry, I just need to find my notes. Um, I just want to take a moment to recognize that it's Asian American Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Month and just wanted to recognize the contributions of the AANHPI community um, and all of their contributions. Um, and it's also Mental Health Awareness Month. And um, uh, just wanted to, you know, also shed light on that and also to let um, folks in our college community and our students know that they could call 415-239-3110 for mental health services at City College. Um, and also wanted to extend um, my excitement to the class of 2022. Super proud of you. Um, super proud. I know that everybody's in finals right now, so good luck. It's not not a fun time, <laughs> finals, but um, I'm super excited to celebrate my first uh, graduation ceremony um, with everyone um, on the 27th. So very excited to be there. And then I also wanted to give a shout out to SMAC, uh, Students Making a Change. I was invited to their virtual graduation ceremony. So just wanted to give a big shout out to um, Rico and Trillia who are graduating and also wanted to thank Chancellor Martin and grace in developing these certificates um, to pass out to, stu uh, to students in SMAC and hopefully other community members, college community members. So super exciting. And then um, also just wanted to recognize the amazing work of the Revenue Unity Coalition. Um, President Davila and Trustee Williams have um, been in some of those meetings and the San Francisco Workforce Education and Reinvestment in Community Success Act is moving forward, which is very exciting. Um, and so, you know, the next step is to get signatures for the ballot measure. So they're having a kickoff event um, at on June 11th, uh, 11 a.m. at Dolores Park. So um, I plan on attending and I'm, I'm, I'm sure other trustees will be there as well. So just wanted to really recognize their work um, to bring additional revenue to the college. And um, that's it for me. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Chisty. Um, I will say that uh, tr for Trustee Selby, her dad is gravely ill right now and uh, he's 87 years old so um, uh, she could not be in most of the meeting and she attended part of the meeting in um, from Texas so I just wanted to mention that because she doesn't miss a meeting lightly and then um, trustee Williams um, speaking of finals she is in one this evening and so she could not be here either and she's suffering like the rest of our students <laughs> with finals right now so and then uh trustee wong no report okay um then i will give my report so i did want to give a shout out to the uh 2022 graduates but also 
all of the other graduates that will be joining us. Uh, very exciting time and I'm looking forward to being there. I know it's a really tough time still because COVID is still out there. I've been in lockdown for 10 days because uh, my husband had COVID. So, uh, so far I've still tested uh, negative, but it, it's a hard time. So we might wanna wear masks out there uh, when we're with a lot of people, but we are looking so forward to celebrating with everybody. So um, with that, that's all I wanted to report on. And it looks like we can adjourn the meeting. All those, or do I have a, oh, I'm sorry, Chancellor Martin. Uh, if I may, President Dahl, we'll make a, a request that uh, the board consider adjourning this uh, evening's meeting uh, in honor of Glenn Nance. Uh, Glenn uh, has recently passed and he was an integral part of our city college fabric. Uh, being involved in the initial uh, project survive concept, as well as being a champion for our ethnic studies and our diversity efforts uh, for many, many years. So I would ask that the board uh, adjourn this meeting uh, in honor of uh, Glenn Nance, uh, who we've recently lost. Okay, so um, do I have a motion to adjourn in honor of Glenn Nance? Uh, it looks like Student Trustee Molinoli. Okay. So we had a um, trustee, uh, Student Trustee Molinoli Villalobos made the motion. Is that correct? And then yes. Trustee Alan Wong second. Okay. Got it. So we will adjourn in honor of Glenn Nance and all of his contributions to the LGBT community at City College. And um, I'm sure his family, friends, and all the students he came into contact with and other employees at CCSF will miss him dearly. Okay, we are adjourned. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Have a good evening. Mm -hmm.